0: Hello, and welcome to the BPL Podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest, Linda Cass. Linda, thank you for being on the podcast.
1: My pleasure, Jeff.
0: So Linda is a writer, the founder and owner of Gramercy Books right here in Bexley, a community figure in Bexley and beyond. So we're here today to talk about her new book, A Richie Boy, um, as well as some background, what it's like to to own the bookstore and whatnot. So we'll just kind of launch right into it here. So Linda, your new book, A Richie Boy, is due to be released in September, and the story is inspired by a specific role your father and many others played in World War II. Can you talk about that role and how it informs the story?
1: Yes, sure, Jeff. Um, So my father was a Richie boy. Um, He grew up in Vienna, Austria, and he did come to this country just as the protagonist, Eli Stoff, in my book, came to this country in 1938 at the age of 15. Um, So within five years of coming to this country, uh, because of his knowledge of uh, the German language and culture, he was recruited by the U.S. Army and ended up enlisting and then um, going to the central uh, kind of centralized intelligence training center at Camp Ritchie, in Maryland and so that really um, and you know I knew this about my father um, I had interviewed my father and mother because I'm a first-generation American so I was really interested in this um, background that both of them had you know coming from another country and and, and immigrating here and, and, and you know kind of assimilating into this culture And so I knew my dad was in the army. I knew that he was in military intelligence. But what I didn't realize uh, was um, that there were thousands of people like him who were trained at Camp Ritchie and they were trained in um, interrogation of prisoners, for example, Uh, they were trained in the analysis of um, um, translating maps. Uh, they were they were trained to provide, obviously, counterintelligence um, to help the allies win the war. And what I didn't understand until more recently um, was that there was a name for them that they were nicknamed the Ritchie Boys. And somehow I, I when I when I realized that I started to research. Uh, about the Ritchie Boys. And and my father and I, in fact, watched a documentary that had been produced in um, 2004 about this very special unit of um, soldiers. And so I just found that whole topic very intriguing. Um, And uh, I I felt that the experiences my father had uh, fascinated me. And so I took some of the facts and then I imagined so much more.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it was, it sounds like it was sort of a launching point for you yep. for the story and, and to sort of, you know, novelize it. And, um, and it's also great that you can, you know, it brought you, I'm assuming closer to your father, learning more about his history and, and that aspect. So is that something, uh, you mentioned you interviewed him about this? Is this something you really didn't know much about growing up, you know, his history in the military and.
1: Um, I knew, I actually interviewed both of my parents. I'm a journalist, my background's in journalism. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: back in the really right around 1980, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aging myself here, but, um, I was a young journalist and I had had a few years under my belt and, um, I felt I was the family historian and I felt I needed to get on audio tape at that time. Um, the basic facts of both of my parents' lives for future generations. And so I interviewed them and taped my notes up back then on my IBM Selectric. And then they were in a drawer for several decades.
0: So it was something you revisited then to, like, well, what was this idea for the novel sort of always brewing in your head or? No,
1: no. It was just, this was my family history. And I never thought you know, back in 1980, I'm going to write a novel like this. I mean, that that just wasn't in my, you know, kind of vision. I sort of, I was doing a lot of other things. Um, so I was a journalist, and I just really wanted this for posterity. Um, and I think, you know, as the years have gone on, Jeff, I really feel how important it is to remember um, because, you know, this is our history. You know, and um, and we we you know, we pass on our history through stories. Mm-hmm. And so being able to write this story, um, this one, and actually the one I wrote before was a novel based on my mother's history. Um, they both had pretty dramatic um, histories and escapes from uh, Europe uh, to come to this Country. They came from different countries. They came at different times, and uh, the interviewing of my parents. What that did for me back then made me realize how, you know, where one was maybe just immigrating here, the other was somewhere else and not, you know, and in, in, in a dangerous situation, you know, and so it it, it gave me sort of a a, a greater depth of, uh, understanding in terms of their resilience and, um, what family meant and how that helped them through and, um, and really just, um, uh, uh, survival.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's such a, uh, a rich and it's just interesting experience to, to, to read those sort of those first generation experiences, um, the, you know, the circumstances in which they may have arrived in America and, and for you to sort of connect that with your family history and then, you know, years later, novelize it, that's, that has to be just a, an amazing and fulfilling venture.
1: It, it definitely was fulfilling. There's just no question about it.
0: <laughs> well, so, so again, so Richie Boy is out in September, is it September He's 1st? actually
1: out Tuesday, September 1st.
0: All right. So, yeah, be sure to either check out a copy of that from the library um, or, Purchase it from Gramercy Books, which you are the owner and founder of. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about that for a minute. Okay. So, so you founded Gramercy Books in 2016, mm-hmm. and for our listeners who are unaware, it's actually right across the street from Bexley Public Library. Uh, we partner on a lot of events with Gramercy. So you've hosted numerous literary events in that time. So what has the experience being a bookstore owner been like? And also, how has that changed this year due to the pandemic?
1: Yes, Um, good question. Long answer, probably. Um, So, um, you know, being a bookseller, um, you know, and I love being across the street from from you all at Bexley Library because, you know, we're aligned in that we both celebrate reading and books Mm. and discovery and inspiration. Um, And yet we're also offering together such important services so people can directly access these wonderful books through the library. And then if they want, you know, after they read the book and they want to create their own personal library in a home and and buy the book, then they can come over this cross the street and come over and buy it over at Gramercy. So we sort of really work in tandem and we love doing events with the library as well. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, being a bookseller is um, and a writer is is an interesting endeavor. Um, someone asked me if I um, how that affected my writing, and um, I think you know really it's 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 reading. You know that that as a bookseller, I think I'm reading far more than I did, and I'm probably reading far broader than I did. Um, but you know, we're doing a lot of events. We we um, we try to celebrate you know, authors. And, uh, you know, now we're doing it virtually through Zoom, usually, Um, although we've also done some Facebook Live events. Um, And during this last year, you know, we've had to do a lot of pivoting um, into this kind of virtual world. And um, it's been interesting. And I think we've learned a lot. And we may continue some of the things we've learned. Uh, during this time, but we are offering events, um, you know, virtually now, and um, that's, you know, we've we've been able to bring in a number of exciting authors, um, and uh, you know, we hope to continue to do that, and 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 I think that we may always offer at least one virtual event a month, perhaps, because I think that there's an audience for it. I think that there's some people that it's easier for them. Maybe they can't even get out of their homes necessarily, uh, to come to an event. And, um, so, so I think that having that as an option is great for people.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, that sounds similar to the experience that we've had at the library really, which is, you know, the virtual events and programs, And also our our curbside pickup service, you know, at least for the foreseeable future are things we might actually continue to offer, even when it becomes safe to, you know, have more people in the building. It's one sort of silver lining to the dark cloud is, you know, maybe we have stumbled upon some things that actually, you know, reach new people.
1: Right. But yeah, we've, we've been around for, you know, we'll be celebrating our fourth birthday in December and, um, you know we've we've uh, we take pride in in um you know sort of being you know a place of refuge just like the library is in a and a place where people can gather which now they can't gather um but um at least make connections and i think that's really important so
0: absolutely yeah and and i'm sure you've experienced this as well but uh when we have been able to get back and offering our our services that we offer now, um, just seeing the outpouring of support and, you know, what, what books and reading and mm-hmm. and what all that offers to people. It's amazing. It's truly yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah. We, we too have, um, you know, we found new ways to communicate with our, our customers too, um, that we didn't do before. Um, because when particularly you're not opened, you know, you need to connect with them even, even, more deeply. And so some of that deeper communication is something we may just continue to provide as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And what we've, we've noticed that too. And again, just to try and look at the positive side of things, you know, it does seem like they're and having a universal experience like this, something that everyone's going through, it does sort of force you to connect in different ways. Yeah. So which is good. Uh, Shifting gears a bit. um, So I noticed in your bio, um, sort of an interesting thread so you uh, spent some time in New York City and mm-hmm. you worked in the cable and broadcasting industries. Is that right? Yes. Could you talk about that experience a little bit?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done some pivots in, in my uh, career. You know, I started out as a journalist. And I actually, uh, I was writing um, briefly, I was in Columbus, I got my master's degree at Ohio State uh, in journalism. And during graduate school, I actually was writing uh, large investigative articles for Columbus Monthly in its infancy. And then I was in Detroit for a few years, and I um, was a uh, part-time correspondent for Time Magazine's bureau. This is dates me as well, because we don't really have bureaus today as much. But back then, there were a lot of bureaus for these national news magazines, and they really, um, you know, took information from all corners, and then they built their stories around them. So I worked on a lot of really interesting uh, topics. And um, long story short, uh, I was kind of discovered there in Detroit by uh, people in the cable television world who were franchising t- uh, cable TV in the suburban Detroit area. And they were looking to partner with uh, someone who was um, a community leader in the Detroit area. and it was someone I had done a profile of in the Detroit Free Press magazine. And so they contacted me, and one thing led to another. And, and you know, this is so long ago. This is like 1980. And, um, you know, cable television and 100 channels and all these things, it was kind of like the Internet today. You know, it was so this brave new world and, and, and it was kind of on the cutting edge and it was fascinating to me. And so I kind of took a pivot and left journalism to work with them in Detroit. And then about six months later, um, and I was really basically write, doing a lot of writing for them, writing proposals and um, because I knew so much about the community, it was helpful in that way. And then I ended up joining their public affairs department um, in New York six months later. And I'll never forget, I think I joined the day that CNN was born. So looking, I remember, you know, sitting there and looking at the TV screen and saying, there's no way there's going to be 24 hour news, you oh, know, wow. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's like God. So, you know, um, so that's how I sort of got involved in, um, uh, you know, and, and, and the company was, um, it's now Time Warner, but back then it was Warner Amex. So there were two companies that were joined together. They kind of had a split, and then they ended up joining, um, Warner part joined with Time. Um, and so I worked for them for about four years, and then I got recruited Um by a really fabulous uh, broadcasting company called um, Group W or Westinghouse Broadcasting, they actually bought CBS um, right after I left. So you know, they 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 were I got recruited by their communications um, department, and I ended up heading up communications corporate communications for them, and did that for quite a while. And then um, you know, married my husband, and I've been back here for a long time. And, you know, doing a lot of uh, work in the community and and the skills that I gained in um, writing scripts and, you know, just so much writing and coordinating events and and whatnot. I have found, which is kind of interesting, is all this background, um, you know, that I've I've had um, over many, many years um, has kind of come together in what I do as a bookseller um and and i think that's also what has made it so fulfilling because i'm able to really employ a lot of different skill sets so um and and you know i would never have known that back then and this is not something i planned <laughs> but you know we always see things when we look back and so when i see all the things i did in the past i see how they've been additive to what I'm doing, you know, as a bookseller, as, you know, operating the store, as um, creating events and creative events, as writing scripts and understanding now all these virtual events, which are in a way kind of like broadcast, you know, um, there's a little bit of broadcast involved where you have to really you know, time code and script these things, you know, um, for viewers. And so there are all these different um, skills that sort of came in during different stages of my career. And it's been helpful.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I imagine it has, you know, having, you know, the events side of things, the literary events and whatnot at the bookstore, being so much a part of your, your goals and your business model, having all that experience, I'm sure is just immensely useful. And, not to mention, I'm sure you picked up some connections along the way. So, yeah, that, that's great to hear. And 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 you did mention uh, briefly, you know, some of your work in the community here in Bexley. So I, I did want to talk about that a little bit. So so you've spent a lot of time advocating for the arts and education, literacy, um, with groups like the Bexley Education Foundation and, and more. So can you talk a little bit about that and maybe any projects or initiatives you're currently involved with?
1: Um, well, I, you know, have... I was on the Bexley school board for actually eight, you know, two terms, eight years um, recruited by the then mayor asking me to run, which I didn't know you had to run for school board back then. I mean, that's how bad, you know, how, how little I knew, but I had been very engaged in an early education center um, where my, my own children had gone and I got very active with it and was kind of president of its board. And so Uh, I was asked to run for Bexley School Board, which I did. And through that, um, I became engaged with the Bexley, at the time it was called the Bexley Education Fund. Uh, It was, um, I believe it was actually like a, not a committee, but it was sort of some part of the Board of Education. And during my early years with them, we sort of felt it was really important for it to be an independent 501c3. And so I was part of the team that that moved it in that direction. And once it was in that direction and, and, and had its own executive director, it was able to really, um, you know, consistently and efficiently move forward and um, develop programs that were in the that would you know raise funds and support the Bexley students. So it was kind of a complement to people's tax dollars. So yeah, I, I worked on, on that board for a long time. Um, was part of a couple of big uh, fundraising campaigns, and I started a um, an author um, a kind of an author series for them. Um, and uh, in fact, the late Pete Hamill. Uh, was our very first author who just recently passed away. He was a um, kind of the one of the key people in that new journalism. Um, he, he was an editor for the New York Daily News and the New York Post, uh, and he was just a, a very well known um, writer in New York City. And then he became a novelist. So um, we brought him here to Bexley. He was the very first, as I said, and I think it was 2000. And, I want to say eight, maybe. And then every year um, we would bring in um, an author uh, of high quality, nationally known, usually, you know, awarded, whether it's Pulitzer Prize or National Book Award. And then we'd create community events during the year anticipating that author's um, arrival. So that I I ran for like nine years. So um, that gave me a lot of obviously a lot of experience in um, just authors, author events, um, and uh, what, what readers find appealing in those kinds of programs.
0: Yes. yes. And this is just so we're clear. This is the Bexley community author series that you're referring to
1: Well, or yeah, different? it used to be called the Bexley community book club because it used okay. to be part of the Bexley education foundation. And as I was starting Gramercy books, it really made such sense for the library to really take this over and run it. Um, and um, the library has been fantastic. I mean, the the series is, I think, better than ever. And um you know, and in fact, its first year brought in Colson Whitehead, who that year won both the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. I mean, he's like my one of my top favorite authors of all time. So, you know, um, the library, it, it just the timing it was wonderful. It was the right event for the library. And, um, uh, you know, so it's it's found its wonderful home there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do. You brought up the Colson Whitehead events. I think that was the first time I was, I was able to attend. And yeah, mm-hmm. I was just kind of thinking after that, like, how are we going to top this? <laughs> <You> exactly.
1: Know, <laughs> exactly.
0: Kind of knocked it out of the park. But yeah. we've had, you know, we've had amazing authors since and, yeah. and then, you know, we did have to reschedule Susan Orlean, but uh, fingers crossed, we'll have her in April of 2021.
1: Exactly. I hope so
0: too. Well, Linda, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and talking with us about your history and, your new book and everything and so again be sure to check out A Richie Boy by Linda Cass that releases September 1st and be sure to shop at Gramercy Books and again thank you Linda so much for your partnership with the library and as that continues to grow.
1: Well thank you Jeff and thank you for for taking this time to talk to me.